Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Real Estate Podcast, the intersection between the latest trends in real estate and its impact on our everyday lives. We're your hosts, Alex Norman. And Jamie Blonde, and you've come to the right location. The real estate starts now. In today's episode, Urban Innovation, we explore the intersection of real estate and civic innovation. Our guest, Simon Sylvester Chowdhury, is the founder and executive director of CivLab, a nonprofit based in New York, Detroit, and London. In partnership with the New York City Economic Development Corporation, he co-founded and is the director of The Grid, an NYC urban tech collaborative of 130 organizations that work together to innovate cities. He teaches about global entrepreneurship at the NYU Center for Global Affairs and on the future of cities at the Imperial College Business School in London. Simon is also a co-founder of Smart Cities New York and of the NYC Urban Data Meetup. Simon, welcome to the show. Welcome, Simon. Thanks for having me. Awesome to be here today, guys. So tell us a little about yourself and how you got into this fascinating space. So uh, not to go too far back, but I I grew up in Manhattan, Kansas, uh, the Little Apple. Um, And after spending time in the UK, um, I started to gain an interest in energy, um, specifically renewable energy, about when President Obama um, put out the Recovery Act funds from 2008 and started to do more in wind and solar. I then left London, uh, went back to Kansas. I said, dad, I'm moving to New York. So that's a great idea with what money It's a good point. Uh, but it was actually a great experience. I ended up at the Kansas State University um, commercialization office and they were working with the National Renewable Energy Labs in Golden, Colorado. And I actually got to have a more kind of hands-on approach with energy rather than the economics that I had been doing before. Saved money, moved to New York, and wanted to stick in energy, but no one in energy would give me a job. And so I went back and did another master's at NYU at the Center for Global Affairs and Energy Policy, um, and also got an internship at this small clean tech incubator uh, that was being run by NYU, which um, then ended up being the Urban Future Lab, which was my first real big project in New York. But I kind of pivoted from clean technology and energy to urban technology and innovation for two, two reasons. One is I was noticing that a lot of the customers in clean technology, such as real estate, utility companies, were also the same customers customers for a broader spectrum of subsectors of urban innovation, like mobility, housing, energy, wastewater, ag. So I, I kind of pivoted. The second reason was um, I wanted to do more for people and look at technologies and innovations that were closer to uh, the citizens and residents of cities. And so for those two reasons, I ended up in urban innovation. That is fascinating, Simon. So what is Civ Labs and what do you do with that organization? So I can't really talk much about what Civ Lab is without giving the origin story. Um, and in New York, we I helped build the Urban Future Lab in downtown Brooklyn. And following that, we just saw this large growth of not just clean tech incubators, but urban tech incubators. And at one point we had nearly 10. And part of my master's thesis when I was at Urban Future Lab was looking at how you how unique it was at the time of having all these different stakeholders supporting it. We were based at NYU, but worked with Columbia and Cornell and CUNY. 
We had support from the state and the city. We worked with the private sector like Samsung, National Grid, and Microsoft, um, even Con Edison. And so it really was a community. And as the urban tech ecosystem grew and all those incubators, they had their own communities themselves. And when you looked at the ecosystem holistically, you could tell that it was um, uh, very siloed and that there was a need for a neutral organization to come in and help bring all those pieces together so that we could increase jobs in the sector um, and, and put more money and capital into the sector of urban innovation, uh, but also leverage our resources uh, more efficiently from the ecosystem and all those various different actors. And so there are 130 in our in our New York City ecosystem part called the grid, um, but there are many more that aren't part of the grid that are still in New York as well. So we still have work to do. Listen, God knows how many organizations trying to do good have tried to get governments and academia and business owners to all work together towards one goal. How do you jump the shark in that sense and, and get right to some kind of success doing that? That's a great question. My, you know, my background is in economics and I've always been very much of a macro thinker um, in terms of how stakeholders work together and, and, and even how can you connect cities, which is CivLab's ultimate goal of connecting city A and B and their ecosystems, not like an incubator to incubator approach or startup to startup approach or even city government to city government approach, we believe it needs to be a, an ecosystem to ecosystem approach. And again, that my mind always goes towards the macro, but when we first launched the project with the New York City of New York and the EDC, I did not realize at the time that it, how, how much the little things would matter, how much those small touches of things like community only newsletters that aren't in MailChimp, but in black and white Arial, or uh, things like town halls um, and just general support of the ecosystem to helping them do the things that they want to do and looking at how their goals align with other members. And again, it's, you know, <clears throat> it's not necessarily the big things that, that help with that, but it's also, it's the small things. And that can even be lending a, an ear and advice to a member who's looking to do something in the community. Yeah, I think you make a good point about the ecosystem and I think immediately about companies that, in fact, failed at that, right? And in companies as big as Google and their Sidewalk Labs initiative, you know, where they in, in Toronto, they wanted to make cities more sustainable and affordable for everybody by going in there and building this 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 center from ground up. But in a lot of ways, they I, I don't believe that they engaged the community and the citizens in a way that I think um, you're, you've, you've outlined as being successful. What, what, what went wrong? Well, with with Google and Sidewalk, I mean, to be honest, I I don't have you know I, I haven't been to Toronto. I you know I wasn't part of that whole story, but you know I think you it's easy to get the buy in from government entities and um, companies in Toronto when you sh when you you know shine something sparkly at them, um, but if you don't take the time and, and look at, you know, the community-based organizations uh, and the citizens on the ground, a lot can go wrong. I, I think that Sidewalk probably tried to do a lot of good things to make that a better place. Um, but again, it was, 
it was all about the approach, right? And I, I think it kind of goes back to the the classic smart city story, which is this was a marketing campaign created by IBM initially, right? And mm-hmm. Um, all these companies were fast to adapt it because it was kind of a clear marketplace. Um, and as we were reaching, you know, new capabilities and capacity with things like broadband and IOT, it was, you know, a fun place to, to put all of it. But the reality is that, you know, cities have a, a patriotism and communities even more, um, that perhaps is more powerful than technology, at least right now in our world. And um, I think it's important to maintain that. Um, And and we're seeing that it not just kind of that local level, but at a global level too, right? There, um, you know, if you look at politics, city, people that live in cities feel more, more closely aligned to their city than potentially to their country, especially in a country like the United States or, a country like London or, or the UK, where most of the people in London voted against Brexit, right? So um, I think, you know, going back to Toronto and lessons learned, it's just work work with the citizens earlier and better. As a Canadian, I'm going to have to, first of all, defend Toronto. If you haven't been there, I'm, I'm very disappointed. It's a beautiful city and don't and an easy ride from New York City, especially in the summer. We can fly right into city. It's like nine airport. hours. Okay. Yeah, it's like it's like not it's like nothing, like an hour and a half. And might I add, come New York, as uh, soon as you land, you're twenty percent richer. So I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and you make a great point. Uh, anybody who's lived in a big city, you know, uh, all politics is local and you feel that New York City is a good example of that. And you always have the tug between the rural part of a, a country or a state and the urban part of a country or state, which have different needs. Sometimes they're on different economic paths or outcomes and they vote differently. And, the, and I guess a good, good leadership is finding that middle ground of policies that help both. Bloomberg, I think, found some success bringing together people to use data and, and, and work with the outcomes, I think was called Bloomberg NYC Open. I don't know if you, if you followed that at all, but uh, it seemed like he had some success, not quite what you're doing, but maybe the initial steps of what you were doing. Yeah, so there, there are different layers of um, I guess, infrastructure to urban innovation and from the different perspective of different stakeholders and, or, or you could even go to the low hanging kind of fruit or example too. And so, I mean, what, what Mayor Bloomberg did was open the gates for a lot of innovators to do more um, and with his open data initiative. And, and there's still a massive open data community. It, it was just New York city open data week recently. Um, taking that data that he unleashed and um, building new things from it and identifying problems and creating solutions, which is what we want to see. And more recently, if you look at the mayor's office led by John, the CTO, John Farmer, um, you know, they have done a really good job of saying, yes, you know, this office tends to get pulled into the direction of shiny things and new technology, but let's focus on what really matters right now in New York, and that's broadband. How do we get basic broadband to more households in New York and then see the innovation that comes out of it? And, 
you know, putting more power into citizens and young people's hands as well. Yeah, you know, I love that you pointed that out because when you say innovation, you know, the word means a lot of things to a lot of different right. people. And, you know, when I think, when some people say urban innovation, they think Uber <laughs> or Lyft, right? Um, and what it really comes down to is things like getting people the basic access to, to broadband, to the internet. Um, it could be people you know, getting food to families. It could be all these kinds of things that I, I'd like to talk a little bit about and have you uh, elaborate on is what are the areas of innovation that matter that are important for cities, uh, for communities and for businesses that are being tackled at the top? So we, we look at urban innovation at CivLab kind of like bingo. Um, and the subsectors that we focus on most are mobility, buildings and housing, ag tech, waste, water, energy. But then we look at like where and how do those relate to each other and work together? Um, and what's the kind of impact they're creating? Uh, and that could be social impact economic impact or environmental impact. We see a lot at the intersection of, of real estate and let's call it civic innovation or, or um, just because of the, sh their sure, the sure presence of real estate in communities and um, its power to uh, bring people together or in poor senses, it's power, power to scare people off, right? Um, and, you know, I think there are a number of people, I think, that do a great job of looking at it from an equitable position and, and things like affordable housing um, and technology. We have a, um, a member uh, in C2, a woman, Dana Chermesh, who's also an entrepreneur in residence at Schmidt Futures, who's working on AR, VR technology to help residents look at what the future of their neighborhoods can be and offering decision makers and builders a better way of curating spaces for those communities and neighborhoods. So we're seeing a lot of cool things at the, the intersections, but um, you know, at the end of the day, we wanna see how we could create partnerships and synergies that are bringing social, economic and environmental change. So not every city is the same, right? And you are in London, New York, and in Detroit. So tell us about those, and those are very different cities in a lot of ways. And I'm from Detroit, or I'm not from New York, but I lived in Detroit. So I have a little, I have a, as a, as a, it's a part of me that really wants to hear about the projects there, but tell us about what you're doing in those cities, uh, what's happening, you know, where is it going? How is it helping? Uh, and and what's what, what gets you excited? Yeah. So selfishly, the common thread is that these are three of my favorite cities in the world. Um, I have been in New York for about a decade and, you know, that's where a lot of my thinking has developed. I did my undergrad in the UK and lived in London for nearly seven years before that. Um, and my mom grew up outside of Detroit. So I grew up going to Detroit and have that kind of connection. Um, the other common thread is they all have the same problem. Lots of great stakeholders, but really nothing to bring it all together. Um, and so, you know, one of our kind of value propos propositions and key programming initi initiatives is this idea of ecosystem harmonization and ali aligning public sector, private sector, academics, nonprofits, VCs, and startups. 
And in terms of where we are in that process, um, I, I love to think of things of like crawl, walk, run. And if, if we're crawl, walking and running, New York's almost running, um, maybe doing some speed walking, uh, but not quite where I think we have the potential to be. Um, but we can talk about that later. Detroit is um, walking and, and um, now starting to walk faster. And, and another reason we're there is one of our advisors, Bruce Katz, um, who used to be at the Metropolitan Institute for Brookings. And when he was there, he worked with Mayor Duggan on this idea. Well, that idea is very similar to what we do. And so that kind of um, uh, <clears throat> brought us in Detroit together. Um, and we've been now working there for two years. And last week we found out we, we won a large, very large federal grant um, for Wayne State University to do, use a lot of our methods and models for COVID response and you know it, improving infrastructure and resilience. So we're very excited about that. Um, so now it's starting to walk there. And then London, we've um, only been here for a couple months and we've been doing a project with University College London and their School of Management looking at a landscape study. Um, and, you know, from a city's perspective, New York is this massive powerhouse. Like they have everything that's good, but they also have a powerhouse list of problems in different neighborhoods and this different structure with boroughs. Um, Detroit is a little bit more segregated, to be honest. Um, there are, you know, neighborhoods that are doing better and neighborhoods that are not doing so well who share a lot of the same problems. And what we love about Detroit is those neighborhoods are speaking and, and through their community groups. Um, but we're doing a lot more on how can we connect those neighborhoods with the private sector and other types of groups trying to innovate in urban innovation. London, though, what's so interesting is they have this structure of boroughs. And it's almost like Los Angeles where, like, yes, Los Angeles is the, the downtown, but there are all these other little cities, right? And so... Um, the power is very distributed in London, where boroughs have a lot going on themselves and, and, and are doing a lot of things. Um, but you also have the GLA, Greater London Authority, and the mayor's office doing a lot of great things. Um, but the problem, again, is you have even more stakeholders and elements there. And so how do you bring them together? So um, we've been working with some great groups and and. Um, really looking at how we can bring London together to an urban innovation and, and start to make that connectivity with cities like New York and Detroit. What's well, interesting you bring up uh, New York City. I mean, Brooklyn's a perfect example of a borough that really exploded about uh, 10 years ago. A lot of the innovation, a lot of the tech, a lot of people that work in those industries have moved to Brooklyn. And now it's as expensive, if not more, to rent or buy in Brooklyn as it is in Manhattan. If, if you'd have told somebody that 20 years ago and also told them that you're going to be talking about New York, London and Detroit in the same in the same breath, I think people would have been shocked. But uh, it's uh, it, it, it's great to hear that you're working on different in different cities it's true that all these cities have different issues some of them in common one issue all these cities have in common right now is the pandemic and everybody's been hit hard everybody is trying to find ways to bring healthcare uh, uh, innovation bring uh, bring uh, governments together bring the private sector together bring the vaccine companies together and and put an end to covid or certainly uh, bring it down to the point we can live our our lives the way we used to or want to want to live them how does something you do 
step in and help in that situation. Um, or, and if you're looking at anything during this time in that area. Yeah, absolutely. And I mentioned the Detroit project that we're doing with Tech Town and Wade State. And, you know, long story short, we can't go backwards, right? We can't. Um, and so we can only go forwards. And, and we're obviously taking the lemons to lemonade approach, which is uh, we're going to be fortunate enough to get federal money uh, to come into these cities. So how, how do we use it for preparedness and to leapfrog um, some of the solutions that we might have faced if it hadn't been for COVID in the future. But uh, from our perspective at CivLab, we actually found that it strengthened or, or brought more um, validation to our model in the sense that when COVID struck, uh, you know, I had conversations with people in the, at the city of New York and you know, they said, listen, Simon, you have all these great resources, do as much as you can to help the city right now, because it's all hands on deck. And, you know, for a few months there, there were seven day weeks for everybody at the city. And, um, you know, we said, okay, let's go out and find as many problems that, that we can. So we scoured the city for problems. And then we said, okay, out of our 130 organizations, can we partner any of them to solve those problems? And what ended up having happening is about 10 different projects. Um, we're still doing vaccine town halls in various neighborhoods in New York um, and, and potentially Detroit as well as the COVID situation gets worse there. But we had all these great collaborations. My favorite was um, when we partnered with the Red Hook Initiative, which is a, a, a community-based organization in Red Hook. You know, you know, mentioned how big of a beast Brooklyn is. I mean, if Brooklyn was by itself, I think it'd be like the fifth largest city in America. And uh, Red Hook is home to um, some affordable housing and NYSHA property, the second um, largest property they have in the city of New York. And a lot of these residents who might not have had internet or might not be tech savvy were getting symptoms of COVID, but they didn't know whether they should go to the hospitals because the hospitals were overflowing. So we partnered with the Red Hook Initiative um, and Councilman Carlos Menchaca, who just ran for mayor, and he used campaign tactics to call all these residents. And we then got Cornell Tech to build an algorithm um, and doctors to help, to help us with a symptom survey so that when we did the calls, we could prioritize the cases. And if you had symptoms that said, you need to go to the hospital now, you get a medical professional and doctor calling you down. If you had them that you uh, symptoms where you could possibly have them in a couple of days, you get a call in a couple of days. We ended up doing about 8,000 calls in 10 different languages, thank you, thanks to Columbia's university's language center um, and saved numerous lives um, over the course of a couple of months. And so that's a great example of, we found a problem, these are groups that we work with. We got them to work together and solve it. And it was, I mean, in, in an unfortunate circumstance, um, a sped up process than what we're typically used to, but very much validation for that our model works and can help cities um, at a level that's not just the government and political level. But, you know, it sounds like there's always going to be problems that need to be solved, right? I mean, it's just a continuous cycle of issues. And I, I, I feel like the innovation of yesterday has a tendency to fail 
the needs of the communities today and tomorrow in some ways, where you have on the very minute um, scale, things like subways and public transportation that was a great idea, but in COVID, maybe not so much. In the future, people may be thinking about crowding the subways a little bit differently in the future. When you think about cities like New York that have aging infrastructure and need solutions, do people want to live in that city or opt to move to newer cities that are building from the ground up and don't have those legacy issues? So how do you think about both how innovation and the, the work that innovation needs to deliver in cities. How do you think about the impact of these residents and businesses that have to live and work in those cities? And now that there are more options, maybe to leave those cities and just go somewhere else because it's easier. Where do you see things going from that perspective? Well, we could be here all day on this one. I think it's a great question, but don't worry, we I, won't. <laughs> you know, there some people didn't have the option to leave cities, right? Um, and some people did have the option. I think some of those people will will, will stay gone, and and we'll see people come back to the cities slowly but surely over the next decade. It's definitely not the end of the city, um, that's for sure. Uh, and so I think that might be a little bit over exaggerated um, when we're concerned about you know, real estate and will it be full? I think will real estate change? Absolutely. Especially from the, the, the office perspective, space perspective. But I, I really see this infrastructure discussion um, rightfully merging with discussions of, of equity and race. You know, I think a lot of what we're starting to see is that infrastructure was segregated and, you know, if we want our cities to be vibrant, then we need to reinvest in all of our neighborhoods and make sure that we're providing the proper education and workforce development for everybody so that they can participate. Because I don't know about you guys, but I don't I don't want to live in a city that's all white people, um, you know, to be frank. And I want one that, uh, you know, emphasizes and embraces diversity. And so I think we're starting to see a real big push towards that in a great way. I think New York, New York City has um, been and going to be really focused on that over the next decade or so, and, and hopefully a lot of other cities too. And you said you were from Kansas. <laughs> I, I grew up in Kansas. I'm a little bit of, I'm a university brat. <laughs> my dad was from India and my mom was Italian. So You bring up politics a little bit there. Politics are very polarized today. How do you overcome that issue when you're trying to engage as many constituencies and governments to work together? If you come up with some solution that's a five-year plan, and then the next election cycle, the parties change, how do you get that buy-in to keep and implement and finish that goal? Yeah, you know, it's it's always a problem, but I think mayors just need to get over themselves, suck it up and do whatever's right for the city and not what's right for the next election cycle. Um, and I think that's been an issue, but I, but I think that we've seen a lot of mayors do that and find a lot of success. I think mayor Bloomberg was one of those, um, mate Pete Buttigieg, uh, who did a lot of great things, um, uh, when he was uh, mayor in Indiana and, um, 
you know, I think it, it's kind of taking that leap of faith of um, putting your energy towards something to, to have tangible outcomes, because I don't think we see that enough out of our mayors. So three cities that you guys are working with, which is awesome. Are there any other cities that are in your target that you'd like to talk to or that you feel that could use and benefit from your work? Yeah, great question. You know, I mentioned I was a university brat, and so I've always kind of been around in, in the world of academia, um, even though my professor after my first degree told me that I had no future in academia, but that's okay. Um, but I, That must be some paper you submitted. Yeah, right. Well... <laughs> I, I had a little bit more fun in my undergrad than I did at the at studying, but um, you know, to the question, it's um, as we look for cities, we look for great academic institution. Like that's a really important backbone, whether it be from an engineering perspective where innovation can come from, or policy or business. So that's kind of been a natural kind of place that we levitate as soon as we go to a city. But we're we're seeing great things out of Berlin. Um, their government is looking very much at inward and outward urban tech and innovation. And we have some partners, urban impacts there that are doing great stuff. Uh, I, you know, uh, Helsinki is always one of my favorite cities. They're so forward thinking on the technology and innovation space. Um, they have this space called hotel Maria. That's now an incubator. Um, they're doing urban innovation stuff, but they also have this neighborhood called Kalasatama where the whole goal of it, is to save residents 15 minutes of their time. Um, but honestly, we, we see this as something that can help break barriers with the Northern and Southern hemisphere over time. And so um, would love to do more in places like Nairobi or Cairo um, or Buenos Aires. Um, and so we're definitely looking for, for partners uh, around the world, but it takes a while to, as I said, crawl, walk, run and, we're just making sure we do a good job in the places we're at first before we're ready for that global expansion. Well, you mentioned Berlin. That's, I find that a great town. I mean, not only that tough history, but it seems like that's a tech center uh, for innovation and for startups uh, in Europe. And I was asking a bunch of people that I met, how come, how come you picked Berlin? And it was all about, it's the cheapest major capital in Europe. So that's where we all ended up. You know, you, you, re, you forget sometimes when you're older and you've had some success or you have, uh, you know, you're moved on in your career that people who are starting and want to innovate, they, they, they're bare bones. They're, you know, they're scratching by, but you need to find a place for these people where they can settle in and, and meet others and grow. And, and that makes for great nightlife, might I add. So I love Berlin. Yeah, it's a great city. It's a great city. And you know, Toronto is the only major Canadian city I haven't been to. Um, we did a lot in Vancouver before. And that's a great place. And I love Montreal. Um, and yeah, there are a lot of great cities up there. For some reason, I just never been to. Toronto. Yeah, we have. We'll get you. We there. have to get you down to Miami. We'd yes, love to, we'd, I'd love, we'd love to. to see your work and your team think about the issues here as a lot of people from New York uh, are coming down here. So you're going to, we're going to, we're going to have a, a mini New York and, uh, and with all the issues, and all the demands and desires of, of what New Yorkers have uh, in Miami quite, quite soon. So we could use your help. I absolutely love it. Um, and you know, there's Miami actually has a root, his, uh, 
a deep history in, in urban innovation, especially from the communities, you know, Knight Foundation is down there and um, our partners, urban.us had one of the first big urban tech conferences in Miami a few years back. Uh, so there's some great stuff going on down there. Not to mention the weather. Not to mention the weather. So thank you very much for being on the show. Anytime. Was, I, I learned a lot. I mean, I was, I was scratching and taking notes, understanding urban innovation, understanding its importance in cities, for communities, for businesses, and for governments, and its impact um, on our future is an important part of, of what I think all of us should be, should be thinking about. So thank you very much, Simon. Yeah, I learned a lot also about your uh, resistance to going to Toronto, but we're going to fix that. <laughs> Simon, thank you very much. Very uh, insightful. Uh, and we look forward to having you again on the show in the future. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. You've been listening to The Real Estate Podcast. Give us a quick review and rating on iTunes. Check out our website at therealestate.co and let us know if there are any new topics you'd like to hear us address. We love hearing your feedback. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.